This is the Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share it with Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico. You can find all of their stuff on Twitter. Adam Boucher can be found at really Adam B. And Marco D'Amico can be found at, at the Hockey Expert. Let's get right into it because this is an action-packed episode that brings you all the action that happened yesterday and the NHL trade deadline. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam. What do you want to start off with first out of this huge, crazy, busy day? Yeah, so you said it best. There was a bunch of trades we, we need to cover. There was actually trades a couple of days before the deadline, which is actually where we're going to start off. Uh, let's let's get, get right into it. We had the first big trade we wanted to touch on was basically the New York Islanders acquiring uh, Paul Mieri and Zajac from the New Jersey Devil. Uh, basically for a first rounder, a, a conditional fourth, and two AHL players. Um, basically, what I saw there was, I think Mark was going to agree on, on this one, is just New York getting uh, two players at their top six, top nine. And they're j- it, it, in my opinion, it just makes them in Palmieri and Zajac just contenders. It's it's just content, cup contending depth. Uh, we, saw, we saw them start in their initial game with the team uh, on the third line with Pajot, so that's a pretty decent third line. And now, recently, we've seen them basically uh, juggle their lines, and we've seen Zajac on the top line with Barzal, we've seen Palmieri with Pajot, and then just moved all, all around the lineup. So, yeah, I think that's a great move for the Islanders, and it's basically almost a free move. It's a first-rounder and a conditional fourth. I mean, did I... Was I surprised by the move? Yes. I think that the Islanders' first-round pick is going to be a very late first-round pick. And yet, you know, despite this buyer's market, they were able to get two very familiar vets traded within the division. And, you know, to me, Palmieri is the replacement for Anders Lee. I think it's pretty obvious. Zajac gives them flexibility at center. Um, which you got to love. And then, you know, these are, you have to remember, these are two guys that played for Lou in and New Jersey. I believe Lou Lamariello, one of his last trades was acquiring Palmieri in New Jersey. So, you know, he knows the guy he's, he likes and it was a no, no problem move. I think get a first round pick for a top six scorer and a third line depth guy. I think that in past deadlines, that would have been a steal. Uh, but unfortunately, it was a buyer's market, so just makes it so that it was par for the course. And do we do we see, basically, do we see New York contending at this point? I feel like they're, if the not top of their division, they're, yeah. The Islanders will be held up as much as their goaltending can keep up. If the goaltending at any point in time is below average, they're done. They to me they just sim- they simply do not have, you know they're playing a system to the T. I think they have the right pl- players in place to play the system to the T. Um, but again, uh, I'm not sold on that uh, lasting in the playoffs. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you have a combo of Varlamov and um, Sorokin right now that could do damage and. Maybe Sorokin takes the reins in the playoffs and takes him far. Who knows? But, you know, am I more confident in, you know, Tuka Rask and, and Vladar and Halak in Boston? Yes. 
and that's a team we'll get to later but uh yeah great trade for the islanders we'll see what what happens in the playoffs uh next trade i wanted to touch on was actually the florida panthers acquiring brandon montour from uh, buffalo in exchange for a third round pick uh we touched on it in in recent episodes how the panthers they they lost ekblad is this a replacement not necessarily but it's a, it's i feel like it's a great value pick it's it's actually one of the defensemen i would have liked uh, to see montreal target uh, and for a third round pick i guess it's great value he's the guy that's going to slot in in their top four so very late third round pick might i add since florida is so high up in the standings um isn't it ironic that any asset that goes to buffalo essentially immediately depreciates like not one year removed they traded a first round pick and uh, one of their top prospects in uh in in Gooley, uh brother of Caden Gooley, to Anaheim for for him and he just fell right out of of favor and was eventually traded for a third round pick as a right-handed shot that young i was surprised and then i went to look at the advanced numbers uh watched a few you know periods uh, of his through various games and wow um you know defensively just not there i am i was a little surprised um they do have the defensive depth i guess to be able to hold the to hold the fort but montour was part of a smaller plethora of moves uh, and not the key move but i'm still surprised he went for a third Yeah, that's that almost feels like a bargain for Florida, especially with the the guys they they got up there this year. And we, I was talking about it with AJ last on last episode. Florida's contending for that top spot, or they're at least trying to get that top spot. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. And speaking of this defensive depth, let's let's jump right into the next trade. One of the biggest trades pre deadline, <laughs> uh, where Tampa Bay acquired David Savard in a three-team trade uh so it was basically tampa bay giving up a first and a third to columbus um uh, and a fourth to detroit for retaining uh basically 50 percent of the salary uh so savard is on the books in tampa bay for only j- just over one million dollars uh the way i see it it's it's you see tampa bay just add a right defenseman a stay-at-home defenseman just a shot blocking machine that could eat up to 20 minutes a, a night and you already have guys like Hedman, Sorgachev, and even McDonough. So, like, that's just... Then again, it's a Tampa Bay move. They're just solidifying their D for, for a playoff run. Yeah, look, I... They already had... This, this is the benefit you can... You have and can be afforded every year when you actually have all the pieces already in place and you're playing with the cap. Uh, what's more insulting to me is the fact that Nikita Kucherov is going to be able to just waltz in uh, and play for them in the playoffs, uh, no problem. And they're able to use his LTIR space to turn around and go and get a guy like David Savard. Um, you know, to me, it's a it's a shrewd move, uh, but already a team that has all the benefits in the world from a negotiation standpoint. You know, fiscally speaking, due to being in Florida. And now they're taking full advantage of the cap and they're pushing the extremities of the rules in order to be even more competitive than they are. Um, you know, Junier Brisebois, he, he definitely knows what he's doing and I tip my cap to it. But it is 
rather frustrating as a Canadian hockey fan to consistently watch the rich get richer. Um, so, you know, kudos to them. I don't wish them luck. Uh, frankly, I hope Tampa Bay loses in, in, in the first round like they did against Columbus because I'm, I'm frankly tired of watching them manipulate the cap like it's some child uh, that needs some candy. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I personally, I hope Florida beats them. I hope Florida comes out of that division and uh, we'll see what comes of it. But uh, it's going to make for some interesting hockey. And it, it does seem like Florida or even Carolina could. I really could want just, Carolina to just run them yeah. over. I'm sorry. I know people are going to be like, well, you're hating on Tampa Bay. I'm just tired of seeing them. That's it. I, that's I would, it. I'd love that, to that's see. That's the trait. I'd love to see Florida go on a run. You know, I'd love to see one of Nashville or Chicago's surprise. You know, that's it. That's I'm just, I think we've had enough of Tampa Bay over the last decade. Okay, so let's. That's it. You have to see it. Florida surprise Tampa, basically. Uh, jumping into another team that's cap constraint that had cap, that has cap constraints, the Toronto Maple Leafs acquiring uh, Nick Foligno and Stefan Nosen, and yet again another three three way trade uh, where they basically ditched off a first, a fourth to Columbus. Uh, and they gave a fourth rounder to uh, San Jose, who basically did the same thing as Detroit. They they retained salary in the Nick Foligno trade, which ended up costing the Maple Leafs uh, just over $1.3 million on their cap. Go ahead, Marco. What do you think? I mean, this is the deal where I feel like they gave what he probably would have gone for in a seller's market. Um, Nick Foligno in a regular situation has no business returning a first and a fourth, a second and a prospect in a normal situation. Yes, but the value that the Leafs get in the trade outweighs the first round pick, in my opinion. And I feel like that's, that's where people need to assess the on paper value versus the real value on paper, the Leafs overpaid in my opinion on paper. But what Nick Foligno brings to a team that, A, has pretty questionable left-wing depth to begin with, when Falix Galchenyuk is playing on your first line, you got a problem. We can, I can tell you from experience. So Number two, if your second-line left-wing and your third-line left-wing are Simmons and Thornton, you still have a problem. So they needed to upgrade the left-side position, and they needed to get some size into that lineup in the top six, because they've pushed down their size to the bottom six. So I like this move from them because I think Foligno is a guy that could potentially complement Tavares and Nylander very well. And that can go a long way uh, for the Leafs. Uh, but as we've seen in the past, they consistently use this time of the year to bring in guys that are the opposite of what their core does. Their core is high-skilled, speed guys. And now, you know, we've seen it with Jake Muzzin uh, two years ago. Um, you know, this is a team that pays to get players in uh, that are able to kind of just put them over the edge. So uh, year in, year out, you know, they're able to improve. Um, and they look like the team to beat in the North now because their their top four looks really good. They have one of the better shutdown pairings in the league with Hole and Muzzin. Uh, their top six, I mean, geez, just Austin Matthews. 
by himself, just like breaking goal scoring trends. Um, yeah, I think the Leafs had a clear need and they addressed it. So power to them. And, you know, it may wind up being like Tampa Bay last year where, you know, everybody was like, you gave two first round picks for two bottom six players. Yeah, but they won the cup. So we'll see what happens with Toronto. Yeah, we'll see. But basically, you're basically aren't you bringing in like the perfect combo of of talent, grit that 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 top four needs. Like if he if the Leafs are able to stay healthy and they, he slots in right next to Tavares and Nylander, isn't that like that? That's pushing down Galchenyuk the, down the lineup. You have guys like Thornton and Spezza that could have maybe a, a bit more leeway on the fourth line. Isn't that like the perfect? scenario for them i think they even didn't they acquire riley nash that could also slot in to a bottom is he yeah riley nash is a center ben hutton is a defenseman that's why i'm saying and the the only one that could potentially play in my opinion at a long-term pace with uh, a guy like uh, matthews and, and marner i believe is zach hyman so you're gonna have zach hyman nick foligno then Alex Galchenyuk, and then your take of Simmons or Thornton. I think that's how it's going to break down. Which is still far better than what they started with at the beginning of the season, where Thornton was on their first line. There you go. So it's uh, I guess it's an improvement. We'll have to see how they fare in the playoffs. They also added, uh, right afterwards, they had they added David Riddick from uh, Calgary. Absolutely. He's starting to in- He's starting tonight is is like what do you think what do you see this trade like meaning do they doubt Anderson's going to come back healthy are they doubting Campbell that's been on on a 10 game winning streak like I don't get the ad here they also have Hutchison I believe in the minors or that's backing up yeah absolutely uh, Campbell at the moment right so it's like are they going to run four goalies or is it all for playoff depth I'm not sure what they they were trying to do here, but then again, it's a third round pick, so they basically got him as insurance, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't see it being a much of a much of a problem. Um, I think ultimately they got the depth they needed, and I think they, you know, they saw what happened with with Colorado, uh, where once Grubauer went down, there was nothing, and I think they. Also want to avoid last season's conundrum where they had nobody at, behind Anderson, uh, and if you know if Campbell wasn't ready for it, now they're writing Campbell, who finally lost last night. Um, you know, I I think that ultimately, if you look at Jack Campbell, yes, he's been playing you know stellar. His numbers over the last five games probably made it so that they wanted to move because his last five games have not been really good numbers wise although he's had to make a plethora of high danger saves in fact yesterday he made half the shots against uh, jack campbell were high danger chances so it's definitely not jack campbell's fault but in case it ever becomes jack campbell's fault you need insurance and if you don't know what's happening with anderson and he is on ltir then why not go and get a goalie like riddick makes sense to me like It, it, yeah, it does make sense for that, from that standpoint. And do you see, like, it, let's say Campbell sustains it for the rest of the season. He keeps on winning. And Anderson doesn't play come playoff time. Do, do you start with Anderson if he's healthy? Or do you, like... Hot hand. Do you, do you run... You keep the hot Campbell in, right? Oh, absolutely. Hot like, hand. You go with the hot hand in the playoffs. The playoffs are all about momentum. 
when it comes to sports, it's adrenaline, it's momentum. Uh, it It's so fragile and you just don't take that chance. And so for me, if, unless Campbell continues his, you know, Reg, you know, going back because he's he's kind of falling back down into normality. The difference is, is the team in front of him is scoring quantities of goals. Now, when the team yeah. doesn't score four or five goals in a game, that's when things start to get a little tricky because now he started. It's it's a few games in a row now where he lets in three or more goals. So you got to be careful with that because that could be. And, and I'm not like listen. Toronto's probably going to end up playing Montreal in the playoffs, which is fantastic because we haven't seen that in 42 years and that would that would just be fun but they got to be real careful thinking that they're set in net and i feel like what kyle dubas did in going to get riddick displays that yes they're happy with jack Campbell, what jack campbell did but they want to make sure just in case that they have someone that can that can do the job so that's a guy to go and get, and that's the kind of trade you're going to make. So power to them. Uh, I like this move. Um, it's better than the Devin Dubnik move, uh, in my opinion, that was made. So good for them, and uh, hopefully it pays dividends for them down the stretch. And basically the next trade I wanted to touch on was Jeff Carter going to Pittsburgh in exchange for a conditional third, conditional fourth. Uh, I mean, that's... I really like the trade for from a Pittsburgh standpoint. Is he uh, now? Is he going to slot in as a third line center? Is he going to slot in at, at wing with Crosby or Malkin? Uh, I don't think any lines were announced as of yet, but that's just especially at fifty percent retained salary. That's just a great move for Pittsburgh. I feel like it's just depth for playoffs. He's the guy that won that he won a cup already with with the Kings. Even two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so yeah, I, I really like the trade. I don't know where he's going to slot in, but that's definitely good good value for Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's you know, when we think about ten years ago, we think about Jeff Carter, right? Like that's he was one of those. But he, guys. he was still having a good season this year. He was absolutely. having a stellar season absolutely. for for the that's Kings. Why I yeah. Feel like Given that experience, given what he's doing, I don't see a problem in what went down. I think he was great. I think he's done well. And, you know, you're bringing him into Pittsburgh uh, as insurance at center. You know, to me, there's, there's, this is a no-risk move. And Ron Hextall, he knows him pretty damn well from his time in L.A. So I get this move. I saw, I kind of thought when I saw Jeff Carter's name in the rumor mill, like I was just kind of like, yeah, oh yeah, this, this is a guy that Pittsburgh is going to go and pick up. And it made perfect sense. Pittsburgh, uh, they have no draft picks, but uh, this is probably it. So they had to, they had to bring in somebody because I feel like at the end of this summer, uh, they're going to have to make it's their window, yeah, right? They're going to have to make it like it's closing because, yeah. you know, Crosby's deal is coming up soon. I think Malkin's a free agent next summer. Um, so they're going to have to make some decisions. Great value for them, uh, for this year at least. Uh, now, one of the biggest trades of the deadline 
well, not even biggest, but maybe biggest trade bait was Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar going to Boston in exchange for Anders Bork and a second rounder. Um, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? So basically, they got Hall for free, the biggest, uh, the, like the highest on the trade board, going for basically a second rounder and a and, cap dump. Um, that's honestly, I don't, I, I don't get it. Is there something wrong with Hall? Is I mean, okay, first of all, he's gonna he's gonna be the perfect fit for Boston. He's gonna be he's probably gonna play wing on Krejci's line, uh, which basically is that winger Krejci hadn't didn't have since I don't know how many years. He's probably gonna be, play power play with with Marchand, Pasternak on first on the first power play. So that's. Look, that's a great value for Boston. And then again, I feel like Boston is similar to Pittsburgh where their window's closing, right? Like they're, they have some young players, but they have they also have veterans like Bergeron. Even Marshawn's not that young anymore. Uh, and Krejci. So we'll see. It's Look, it's a great trade for Boston, but I feel like Buffalo got nothing in return. Like I feel it, like it just they feels lost like, that bet. I feel like they definitely lost that bet and it's something to consider because I'm sure they probably got a better offer than that I'm sure I don't know that they got a first round pick but I'm sure they probably got a, a, a second and a prospect and it was Taylor Hall's no movement clause that came in uh, and I really just kind of hammered out uh, teams that were interested that he had no interest in going to I think if Boston comes knocking they already have the perfection line. You get to play left wing behind Brad Marchand and your your center is David Krejci. I think that's an ideal setting for a guy like him. I think it's, you know, I talked about it uh, at length already, but I feel like that's a perfect setup for him. I feel like you're going to put him in a complimentary role and that's where he's going to thrive, where the spotlight isn't on him. And we've seen players like that before, most notably uh, the player that was traded uh <laughs> to acquire the pick, the, the pick that ended up being right after Taylor Hall in 2010. Phil Kessel, as we know, uh, was a guy that was deemed as a star for a, a team like uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then when he was brought to, Tor- uh, to, to Pittsburgh in a secondary role behind Crosby, behind Malkin, he thrived and ended up outproducing them offensively because he wasn't the key guy they were watching on the other end. And that allowed him to play better. And I feel like that's what's going to happen to Taylor Hall here. And I feel like if Taylor Hall's salary demands aren't outrageous, then the Boston Bruins can turn around and trade Jake DeBrusque for defensive help and re-sign Taylor Hall. And that would make a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. So we'll see what happens. Um, But it's definitely uh, a move that I think the Boston Bruins and their fans are going to appreciate this year and, and perhaps even moving forward. And there, there's been talk that Hall wanted to to stay long term and wanted to sign an extension well, uh, past this year. Yeah, that's credence to the fact uh, that there's no movement clause. He wanted to go to Boston. That says enough. And how how crazy is it that you're giving a new no trade clause to a guy on a one year deal that like I mean, arguably holding, almost said like he was holding all the cards, my friend. He was holding all the cards. He went for the money. He went for the deal. And I feel like that's the thing is that Buffalo is so desperate to attract free agents that 
they just gave him they gave him what he wanted, right? Like this isn't new. They gave Jeff Skinner nine million dollars so he wouldn't leave. And that went well. Well now they want him to leave, but he can't. It, that that entire <laughs> contract is bioproof and they can live with it forever. Yeah. So no, uh definitely um, definitely a good move for the Bruins and watch out East Division. Yeah. And the next trade I wanted to touch on was uh, actually my WTF trade of the of the deadline. My Adam Gaudet going to Chicago for Matthew Highmore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's... Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'm 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 just crazy, but I feel like Gaudet was playing good in Vancouver no, in wasn't. a mediocre Vancouver team. No, no? he wasn't. He, this is very much an off year for Gaudet. Um, last year he played quite well and I thought he he was going to take off, but it just didn't work out with him in Vancouver. Um, he's definitely got more upside than Highmore. Highmore is a bottom six, a bottom six player that doesn't play in, in a special team setting. So he's essentially just a guy for five on five minutes with a little bit of sandpaper that has shown some upside, but like no real offensive creativity. Adam Gaudet is a power play specialist in the making that can play five on five quite well and that just needs to mature his defensive game. Uh, and I believe he can be a consistent top nine player in any lineup in the NHL. To me, this is the Vancouver Canucks selling low on an asset that they didn't know how to prop up. We often see this in Montreal. We often see this in Toronto. We often see this um, in the past in Ottawa or actually recently in Ottawa. Um, so just... Overall, just I felt, you know, they they could have possibly held on to him longer, tried to do something with him. But with the expansion draft coming, I think they wanted something for him. Um, so, you know, they would have naturally lost him uh, to that. So it, it makes sense to me to a degree. But at the same time, I feel like Gaudet, you know, was part of the future. And the fact that they're willing to trade a young guy like that that had so much success in the NCAA. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm, I'm really not confident in, 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 in a guy like Benning being in Vancouver for long. Yeah. It just, it just feels like God that has the, the much higher ceiling in that trade. Oh, I think, I think playing with the playmakers that are on the Chicago Blackhawks, I think he's going to get some goals now. Yeah. So that's something to watch for sure. Uh, we then had, uh, well, the other trade that was quite interesting was, again, the Florida Panthers acquiring uh, another player, Sam Bennett from the Calgary Flames, basically for a second rounder and an AHL player, the signing rights to an AHL player. Uh, and they also got a sixth rounder in, in that trade with would, Bennett. I would, so I would, I would, I would call Heineman. Uh, an AHL player he was just drafted well no it was sorry it was his signing rights yeah the prospect but um, the prospect yeah uh, what I see in that trade is a fresh start for Bennett so someone that really didn't get a chance as of recent in, in Calgary and look he's going to play in Florida with, with a lot of talented players as well he's probably going to get more ice time maybe top six Uh that's going to be interesting to see for sure. Well, I mean, it's an opportunity for him. I think that he got, um, excuse the term, I think he's been cock-blocked in Calgary uh, with the center situation. 
Uh, if it's not Monaghan and Backlund, then it's Monaghan, Backlund, and Lindholm, and and so on and so forth. So he's always relegated to bottom six minutes, always. And so never really given a chance in the top six. And here he goes to Florida. I think he's still going to get third-line minutes in Florida because Alex Wenberg is on fire right now. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's really kind of settled in. Uh, Barkov is back. And, you know, it's... I think they're going to want out of, uh, I was going to say Reinhardt. Wow. It's both Sam's Bennett in they were the same draft second and I believe fourth overall. So excuse me with the Sam's in 2014, but Bennett seems to me like a guy that's going to be able to take advantage of playing on a third line and really just kind of going tempo and being used in a power play situation, being used in a PK situation. And that was something he didn't have in Calgary. And I feel like if Florida is willing to have that, if Florida is willing to accommodate that, then he could potentially, you know, hold the role that they wanted Henrik Borgstrom to hold before they traded him. Right. And, and, and that's the big deal for me. So trading a second and a, and a, and a, and a prospect granted was a second round pick in and of his own right. So still good potential. I feel like it's a good trade. I feel like the loser in all this is, is Calgary's developmental stuff because you, how do you waste a fourth round pick and trade him for just that? Uh, sorry, a fourth overall pick and just waste him like that. It just, I don't, I feel like to me, it's just a, a string of, of consistency when it comes to this. It's just, it's unfortunate, but you see it often nowadays where you have these top picks and teams hold on to them too long and don't get maximum value and getting two two essentially two second round picks, a very late second round pick from from Florida this year. Um I just I feel like that they missed out on potential value by trading him maybe a year or two earlier. And it feels like Bennett had played his best hockey last year in the bubble. Like Absolutely. And he, he was like he that's the thing. We all felt like he was going to get more minutes this year, and it just didn't pan out. Unfortunately. Um, next trade, arguably the second biggest trade of the of the deadline, uh, where we saw Anthony Manta going to Washington for uh, in exchange for Richard Panic, Jacob Rana, a first and a second. Isn't that the biggest return we saw last, uh, basically yesterday during the deadline? I mean, that was a monster trade. Let's just call a spade a spade here. That, that was ridiculous. Um, but I can see why this trade occurred, and I can understand the logic behind it. First off, Anthony Mantha does not fit where this team is going. You know, like, it's unfortunate, but this is a guy that's entering his prime. Does he really want to be in a rebuild? Steve Eiserman is in this for the long haul. I apologize, Detroit Red Wings fans. This is not going to be something that is fixed overnight. This is going to take some time. You are going to deal with it, and you are going to reap the benefits of it in maybe five years. But it ain't today. And in that case, your best bet is to, to monetize an asset like Manta, And Manta and Vrana are not that far apart, in my honest opinion, in terms of quality of play. So it's going to be very interesting to me. Um, I see this as a two-pronged approach. Vrana compensates for the production of Manta 
and then you throw in a first and a second to offset the value of throwing in a cap dump like Richard Panic, who has still got, I believe, three seasons left on a $2.5 million deal, or two two seasons left. I, I don't remember. And frankly, it's Richard Panic, so I don't care. But I will say that the first is definitely to compensate the difference in talent, or at least the difference in precedence of production between a guy like Vrana and Mantha. I feel like they paid a heavy price, but I also feel like the Washington Capitals know that they need to go for it, and this is it. Because Alexander Ovechkin is going to ask for a pretty penny this this summer. He's, he's going to want to raise, and it's going to be in the 11 to $12 million range because it's Alexander and Ovechkin, and he's still scoring like a maniac. So you're going to have to pay that. You just re-signed Backstrom. Um, this is what happens when you give out big contracts. Um, and ultimately, they got to be careful. But to me, Detroit, in a situation like this, where they had no business and no need to trade, and you see the buyer's market that was in front of them, and they were still able to extract Jacob Vrana a first and a second to take on... Richard Ponick's contract and to t- and to trade Anthony Mantha in in a se- in a season where Anthony Mantha was dipping in production, mind you. I find that pretty impressive from Stevie Y, but I guess I got to stop being impressed by Steve Eiserman, be it on or off the ice at this point, because he's just too good. So I'm, I'm it, it, it just feels like Washington definitely got the best player as of now, but Detroit. Just got this crazy value. Like at first, given the first is probably going to be a low first, so almost two seconds. But you're you're getting Jacob Rana, who we said is he's just one year apart from from Manta. He's a bit more. He's less proven in the NHL than uh, than Manta. But I mean, look when when they when they went on their cup run, Rana was a key piece. Like he was one of the top six guys who who contributed to this uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, so we'll see. And it was also stated that maybe Washington would expose Vrana to the expansion draft. Or it's like, so that's another factor, I guess. But nonetheless, I feel like great value for Washington. They're getting a player that's going to play either on, on the wing of Backstrom or Kuznetsov. And that's probably going to get a bunch of power play time. And it's, that it feels like it's, it's a one more passer to the Ovechkin so that's just crazy value for them and Detroit just a haul uh, of picks and, and, and player in, in that case yeah, that's ridiculous uh, that's honestly it's a, I feel like it's the best return we saw yesterday so that was pretty good um, next up we have a couple more trades uh, let's just go one for, for Montreal Canadian fans uh, where Montreal got Eric Gustafson, uh, 50% retained from the floor, uh, the fly, Philadelphia Flyers for a seven rounder. So we get, uh, we basically get a some D depth for Montreal for for basically the playoffs, and it's it's important to to, to mention he's a former 60 point player, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to take that into context. <laughs> I feel like he was a, he was a sixty point player when Patrick Kane was having a hard season, right? Like, 
when Patrick Kane and you play with Patrick Kane on the power play, it's very easy to score points on the power play when you play with Patrick Kane. Just pass it to the guy. He'll get you that goal. So, yes and no. He has the offensive tools <laughs> to produce in a way that no other defenseman in Montreal can at this moment outside of Jeff Petrie. But I would not expect him to suddenly become a top four defenseman overnight. I feel like this is your power play specialist that Victor Mete couldn't be. And this is, you know, he has the shot. He has the passing. He has the offensive skills to be effective, but to be effective. He hasn't been effective for any of the teams he's played with since Chicago. And to me, it's going to be a wait and see game. But there is literally no risk in sacrificing a seventh round pick for that. I feel like that's the easiest sacrifice you can make. Um, and especially 50% retain, no one's complaining. So if you're able to properly insulate the player, why not? And I, I, I feel we didn't mention it, but um, it feels like Montreal, they, they went out, they got Gustafson, they got Merrill on D. It feels like they're just creating this, this like internal competition at, at defense they didn't have before, or they had Mete, they had Wellet to just slot it in when they needed some change. Now they have two guys that could be in and out of the lineup and, and basically challenge those guys for, for basically a top six role on defense. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, and it's playoff depth depth for Montreal for sure. Um, we also had well, let's let's go one last trade. We had Eric Goodbranson traded from Ottawa to Nashville, uh, which I found pretty interesting because you have Nashville now getting uh, defensive depth for for basically make trying to make the playoffs and 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 maybe playoffs even. Uh, when we were talking about them two weeks ago, possibly trading Ekholm, right? So that's they're adding depth on D. So that means they're 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 trying to make the playoffs, and they're basically they're not all in, but they're they're really gonna make a push. Yeah, I mean, that's the volatility of 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 this alignment and the way that the schedule is played out. Is that one good week and boom, you're in the playoff spot, and I feel like two good weeks and boom, they were in the playoff spot. And that, that's what this is all about. And so power to, to to the Nashville Predators who aren't willing to lay down and die and call for a rebuild. But I feel like they missed on an opportunity to sell and bring up their, their young players to essentially just take over those spots. But that's okay. I feel like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, David Poyle has always been about just winning now. And, and you know, if he's going to forego selling on Ekholm and selling on Granlund and, and trading other guys simply for the notion of, of, of maybe making the playoffs, power to him. But uh, ultimately for me, I feel like it's a missed opportunity to really bank uh, and, and get some, some good assets. Well, there you have it, folks. Complete analysis of the NHL trade deadline. And if you want more information or you have a question or something like that, please do tweet Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico. They can be found, can be found on Twitter at the Hockey Expert and, of course, at Billy Adam B. 
In any case, we're going to end it there. We usually would bring the, all the extra news that's happening in the NHL, but there's no really any reason to cover that because this is the big event, and this is what people are going to be talking about for the next week. So that's it for the Hockey Flow this week. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Agent Cordero. We'll catch you guys in a week's time.